guys, and welcome back to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, as we continue to chronicle that lovely Monday Night War. This week, we're going to finish off the month of July here in 1996, looking at the July 29th edition of both WWF Monday Night Raw as well as WCW Monday Nitro. And I am your host, Ray Russell, going to bring it all to you here this week. As is the case in both WCW and the World Wrestling Federation, we're another week closer to the upcoming August pay-per-views. Of course, right around the corner, August the 10th, it's WCW's Hog Wild pay-per-view, the initial pay-per-view from Sturgis, South Dakota. Meanwhile, over in the World Wrestling Federation, they're making their way to SummerSlam here in 1996. All sorts of things going on this week. A very storyline-driven episode of Nitro that sees a lot more, quote-unquote, behind-the-scenes action than in the ring here this week, and we'll see if it holds up, stands the test of time after all these years for me. And then over on the WWF side of things, we're going to talk injuries piling up on Ahmed Johnson, the latest of which uh, very serious kidney injury. We'll talk about that. Plus, on Raw, we're going to see the wild man Mark Merrow take on Vader. I'll say this much for the Mark Merrow character. They're certainly getting him out there on TV almost every week. Also, this week on Raw, for the second time now, it's going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on The Undertaker in this week's main event. So just hang tight, and we'll get to Monday Warfare in just a moment. But first, got to remind everyone that you can listen to Monday Warfare as well as sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, currently in the month of August in 1987 in the WWF Project. Just posted a brand new episode of The Grenade covering early August TV. And then on the back end of the episode, we play a little game of What If... What if there had been a SummerSlam in 1987 as I, Ray Russell, yours truly, books my fantasy SummerSlam for 1987? And then over on the Regional Wrestling Podcast, still pumping out those Georgia 1981 shows with Jamie Ward, still putting out those Mid-South 1986 shows with Roman Gomez. And Gomez, he's been a busy bee as of late here at his shoot job. But things are finally starting to open back up, and we're going to have more Mid-South 86 shows coming your way soon on Regional Wrestling. So stay tuned to both of those shows and more. You can listen to all of the podcasts here at WrestleCopia as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And make sure you follow me on social media, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can find me there at YouTube.com slash wrestling grenade uploading new footage all the time as i continue to preserve my old vhs collection by converting it all to digital new footage going up every week there on my youtube channel so be sure to subscribe today and speaking of subscribing guys now would be a tremendous time to become a wrestlecopia patron you can find us there at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia that address again patreon.com slash wrestle c-o-p-i-a if you guys have been looking for a new podcast network to sponsor if you appreciate all the time and effort that i put into everything i do here not just on the podcast but on social media as well if you like any aspect of anything that i do guys i would greatly appreciate you guys considering trying out the all access tier for just five dollars over there at patreon.com 
slash WrestleCopia gets you all sorts of gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes. I'm talking pages and pages of show notes for every episode of The Grenade, Monday Warfare, and Regional Wrestling as well. Plus, you'll get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Grenade podcast featuring the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations. Originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into the show. But that's not all. You guys will also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. And of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Main Events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. And you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a try for just a month. I think you'll appreciate. I think you'll enjoy all the content that I offer there. And every penny of it, guys, goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. No subscription, guys. Remember, you can cancel any time. I just ask you guys to give it a try. Help me pay some of the bills to keep all this up and running, guys. Monday Warfare, the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Regional Wrestling, and more. Help me keep all of this going for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that out of the way, time to jump in to the Monday Night War for this week, July 29, 1996. But before we get there, we always like to look at a little bit of news before we head into the TV program. And we kick things off with a little WWF news for this week. As Ron Simmons has arrived, we saw him on Raw last week making his debut attacking Ahmed Johnson at the end of the July 22nd episode of Raw. Ron Simmons working as a warehouse manager, apparently, for the Coca-Cola plant in or near Atlanta, Georgia, since his last wrestling foray full-time with World Championship Wrestling. Now, it's reported that WCW was interested in bringing Ron back last November, beginning with the World War III Battle Royal. But the sides never agreed on a money deal, and thus... Ron Simmons pops up here in the summer of 96 in the World Wrestling Federation, and the rest, as they say, is history. And speaking of history, at least for the short term, it looks like Ahmed Johnson's career is going to be put on the shelf for at least a few weeks, if not months here. Ahmed Johnson suffering a major injury in recent days here in the World Wrestling Federation. As you guys will see very soon, Ahmed Johnson's injury is going to be announced on Raw as being a ruptured kidney uh, from the attack of Ron Simmons a.k.a. Farouk Assad, as we will see. Other reports are that it was really a severely bruised kidney and that Johnson has had blood in his urine. Now, remember, Johnson also broke his nose at the last In Your House pay-per-view, presumably from a kick to the face by Owen Hart there. So Ahmed working on multiple injuries, but the kidney one far more serious as Johnson will indeed undergo kidney surgery on August the 12th, so he will be out indefinitely by that point. Now, there was talk and thoughts that maybe they get him back in time for the SummerSlam pay-per-view to defend his IC title against Farouk. But once the doctors got a good look at Ahmed's kidneys, it was a no-go. And there will be surgery upcoming here for Ahmed Johnson. Going to keep him out of the ring for a few months anyway. The story they're going to be telling here in the WWF television is that the kick, the first kick that Farouk lands on Ahmed Johnson, which just happens to be in that kidney area, the ribcage area anyway, was what caused this injury. And even the dirt sheet writers, they got you melts. They even believed it at the time as well. But Later on in life, it came out that Ahmed, I'm not really sure what caused the kidney damage, but I don't believe it was the kick laid in by Ron Simmons there. Nevertheless, I, th- I believe Johnson's going to be out a good near four months, uh, sad to say, just as he was really getting going as Intercontinental Champion, and we're going to see even bigger things were planned for him by the end of the month of August as well, 
as we continue to watch this raw TV taping. But in a bit of good news, depending on how you want to look at it, Jake the Snake Roberts will presumably return at the SummerSlam pay-per-view. All sorts of stories are circulating as to what actually kept Roberts out of the ring during this time from King of the Ring onward. Jake has blamed the rib injury of one Vader, though many people questioning the quote-unquote real reason why Roberts has been out here. But he will return, as we know, in time for SummerSlam to take on Jerry the King Lawler. My next bit of news, I labeled it Shawn Michaels versus Jim Cornette. Listen to this. This is where I do my due diligence, guys, researching both the Observer and the Torch here to piece this one together. We get some of the story from Dave Meltzer, some of the story from Wade Keller, and when you put it together, it makes a complete puzzle. Now, I'll start off with DeMeltz's side of things here. He says, there is, or at least was, tremendous heat on Jim Cornette coming out of the weekend tour, largely due to a backstage argument that Jim Cornette had with Shawn Michaels after a match in Anaheim. Apparently, they had worked out a spot where Michaels was going to superkick Cornette, but Jim either tripped and fell down, which caused Michaels to superkick air, look like a fool, or I guess Michaels felt Cornette double-crossed him on the spot purposely went down, beat him to the punch before Michaels could unleash the superkick. So there's two sides to the story. Cornette says he tripped and fell. Michaels superkicks air. Michaels feels, well, he did it intentionally. He took the bump before I could throw the kick to make me look like a fool. This is where Wade Keller steps in and says, there were already problems between the two stemming from something else that apparently happened after the show in San Francisco earlier in the week. And uh, Keller's referring to a bar story here, and I'll I'll try to break down the gist of it real quick. Apparently, Shawn Michaels was in a bar having a good time. Jim Cornette wanted to go in, didn't know who was in there, so he sent uh, a female, perhaps a fan, in there to check and see if anybody that maybe he was feuding against or anything to that nature was inside the bar because he didn't want to enter and break kayfabe. God bless Jim Cornette. Well, this fan, this female, whoever she was, she actually goes up to Shawn Michaels. It kind of relays a different message. The Jim Cornette says, you need to leave so he can come in here. And uh, that's the story Shawn Michaels got from this fan, and he was none too happy about it, as you might can imagine. So some miscommunication there led to some trouble. You follow that up with the incident that took place inside the ring in Anaheim, and then here we go. After the matchup, after the segment there in Anaheim, as the two men got backstage, Michaels apparently began yelling at Jim Cornette about the spot, with Cornette yelling right back because you know he would, and uh, supposedly it became a big deal internally. And that was reported from both sides, Meltzer and Keller, that uh, there were some issues there. And there was talk that they were going to let it go for now. But if this continues to persist, these issues between Shawn Michaels and Cornette, one of them might have to go. And you better believe it would have been Jim Cornette. But I guess cooler heads prevail when there's money to be made. Of course, Jim Cornette, the manager of basically everyone Shawn Michaels is feuding with right now. In other news, Clarence Mason will become a regular manager for Crush, brada who they admitted on Raw was arrested on weapons violations and controlled substance violations. Although steroids themselves weren't mentioned here, Clarence Mason is obviously not his real name, says DeMeltz, but it appears that the man was indeed a former ADA, assistant district attorney in real life from somewhere down in Florida, who just happened to be a big-time wrestling fan, became friends with the big cat Ernie Ladd, who made the connection with the WWF Forum. So Ernie Ladd coming into play here, helping Clarence Mason get the job of the World Wrestling Federation. And yes, he will move forward as a manager here in the WWF for the time being. Also returning to the WWF, not just Crush, but the Bruise Brothers, Ron and Don Harris, will be coming back, although only for a similar level push to a Freddie Joe Floyd or a T.L. Hopper. How do you do that with guys that size? 
it's stated that they're expected to occasionally get a TV win, but mainly be used to put over the big tag teams here that are being pushed. The big tag teams like the Body Donnas and the new and improved Rockers? It's also stated that the Bruise Brothers are only going to be used for TV tapings and not the house shows. So Vince McMahon, the WWF, encouraging them to continue to work for ECW at the same time. However, Paul Heyman doesn't want to use anyone that loses on WWF TV, go figure, or anyone affiliated with the WWF for that matter. Talk about ironic. Speaking of ECW, rumors also abound that Two Cold Scorpio may be on his way to the World Wrestling Federation. It should also be noted during the Olympics here, tons of publicity both on WWF Raw as well as the mainstream regarding a fellow by the name of Mark Henry, the super heavyweight lifter who was billed as the world's strongest man here in the WWF, and Henry expected to make his wrestling debut somewhere around the month of September here for the WWF. And I believe Henry was in the mainstream. I think he appeared on even the Oprah Winfrey show and uh, Jay Leno as well. And last but not least, in the news department, the WWF has officially severed ties, oh, here it comes, with Warrior University and the Warrior Man comic book. Warrior Man here. So just about everyone is presuming that the relationship is now dead. Dead indeed. It's also stated that the Ultimate Warrior's name isn't mentioned by anyone internally at this point, so it sounds like the Ultimate Warrior is finally done with the World Wrestling Federation. As we are off to Monday Night Raw for July the 29th, taped last week, July 22nd, at the Key Arena in Seattle, Washington. And it's noted in the uh, dirt sheets here, the Key Arena holds about 20,000 fans, but it was cut down into about a third of the building's configuration, which was packed with 6,755 fans, paying for a gate of over $91,000. And that gate was the largest ever for a Raw taping, even with just 6,700 fans, so... The WWF doing okay on the houses right now, at least with the TV tapings. And as we head off to Raw, it's Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler on commentary. As we go back to last week, we catch a clip of Ron Simmons making his WWF debut, attacking Ahmed Johnson during that tag team main event. Hmm. And all right, guys, I suppose at this point, it appears another neighbor out cutting their grass again this week. I do apologize for any background noise if you hear any. But uh, there's little I can do about it as it appears every neighbor I have decides they're going to cut the grass on a different day of the week, at least so far here in the early part of the summer. So I'm going to be able to work around that pretty soon once the kids are out of school. But right now, got to do it when I can do it. And I do my best to try to work around their grass cutting schedule, but it's just not going to be if we want to get this done this week. So we're going to continue on with the Monday Warfare show. And again, if you hear any background noise, I do apologize in advance, but hopefully you enjoy the show anyway. As we roll on, we learn the assailant is here again this week, the man who attacked Ahmed Johnson. Who is he? And why did he attack Ahmed? We'll find out all of those answers and more this week on Monday Night Raw. As we come out of the intro, right to the ring, Psycho Sid, that's Psycho with an S, taking on Justin Hawk Bradshaw, Zebekiah in his corner. Well, he wasn't here last week after the pay-per-view, but he sure is here this week. 
monster ovation for Psycho Sid, who is back in the WWF. Oh yeah, pal. Warrior who? And just awesome theme music here put together for Sid fits the Sid character perfectly as he enters the ring. Bradshaw unloads, but Sid comes fighting right back, trading blows back and forth, won by Sid, who lays in a series of kicks to the chest before hooking the hawk in a choke slam. Can he do it? Can he lift the 300-pounder off the mat? Yes, he can! Choke slam on Bradshaw. Hot way to start off the action here this week. However, Justin Bradshaw, sensing early defeat, goes straight to the lariat in the corner, grabs his rope and clothesline Sid with it right in front of the referee. Jack Doan calling for the disqualification in just one minute and four seconds, unfortunately. Zebekiah then in immediately for the double team on Sid as Bradshaw clocking Sid with the cowbell. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. But Sid coming back with a double clothesline, dropping both men, and a powerbomb on Bradshaw. Wow, impressive. And look out, Zebekiah, powerbomb on Dutch Mantel as well. Double your pleasure here this week on Monday Night Raw. So I'm happy they seem to protect Bradshaw and finishes against the likes of Taker and Sid, likely due to his size and potential down the road, but then on Superstars, he loses to Tracy Smothers. So it's kind of all over the place booking-wise here for JBL in 96. Also, would have loved to have seen this go a little longer. Not a lot longer, but a little longer. It's We Roll On, as promised. It's Sonny standing by with Ron Simmons, who has apparently underwent a name change. He will now be known as Farouk Assad, apparently. As we learn, Assad's attack on Ahmed last week was payback for the cake in the face from the week prior on Monday Night Raw. Remember Ahmed shoving that Shawn Michaels birthday cake in the face of Sonny. So now Farouk is coming for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam, and he will be the wrestler of the 90s. Kind of late in the 90s to say that, isn't it, Sonny? Or no? I don't know. Simmons says, I'm sorry, Farouk Assad says that Ahmed has a newfound respect for women after what he did to him last week. There are no rules on the street when it comes to fighting, and they're going to go back in time and do it the way it used to be. Way back in time by the judge of that gear that Ron Simmons has on here. So Simmons says he's going to be 15 pounds heavier after SummerSlam. 15 pounds of gold, that is. So Ron Simmons in the WWF and gunning for that IC title currently held by Ahmed Johnson as we head back to the ring, the wild man Mark Marrow Sable in his corner, taking on Vader this week with Jim Cornette and his. As we get a clip from In Your House, we see Vader pinning the WWF champion Shawn Michaels as they say he will do it again at SummerSlam. As I noticed that Marrow continues to work pretty much every episode of Raw, though the cameraman far more focused on Sable here than Marrow during the entrances. And as I started typing this, I began to realize... Are they showcasing Marrow every week here, or is it more about Sable? Makes you wonder. Jim Cornette joins commentary for the matchup as Vader tries to get the best of Marrow early on. Vader quickly finds out that it's not going to be so easy this week. Marrow floating over Vader and unloading with a hard right hook and a rolling somersault kick or body attack, something like that, sending Vader down as Corny screams about the move on commentary. What the heck was that? Marrow then fighting for a crucifix on the Mastodon and slowly taking him over, locking him in the crucifix, rolling him over, getting a two count as we get dual shots of action, along with Cornette selling on commentary, and as always, Corny does a great job here. Finally, though, Vader plowing Marrow over with a body attack and landing the inverted powerbomb. I wrote awesome. I always loved whenever Vader did that move. Vader then laying in some nasty stiff headshots in the corner, 
but the former boxer Mero begins throwing blows right back and looking good doing it. Great shots by the wild man here, but Vader with a short arm clothesline dropping Mero down to the mat. And then back into the corner again, Vader laying in some body blows this time, followed by a hard clothesline and a big splash from the big man. Vader only gets a two count off the splash as the announcers begin selling next week's Battle Royal. And apparently the winner of that Battle Royal will meet the WWF champion, whomever that may be, the following day on Raw after SummerSlam. And then back to the action, Vader keeps going back to the stiff punches on Mero, but Mero coming right back, throwing his own. Vader, though, remaining in control, as the wild man clearly refusing to quit, though, keeps fighting his way back to his feet, as Vader then begins to taunt Sable, allowing the wild man back to his feet, finally, for a running body block and a big clothesline, since Vader flying over the top rope to the outside on the floor, and then wild man with a somersault plancha over the top rope to the outside, dropping Vader down to the concrete, and then back inside, Mero, top rope double axe handle, stuns Vader, and then Mero going back up top again, looking for a flying sunset flip. But he overshoots Vader by like three feet, completely misses the move. But Vader then simply backs up to allow Mero to try to finish the move after the fact. I wrote, eh. So Mero misses the flying sunset flip off the top rope by several feet. Vader then backing up because they got to continue the move. So Mero looking to complete the sunset flip, but Vader blocks it by dropping down seated splash. Looking for the old earthquake butt drop here on Mero, but Mero out of the way. And the wild man back to the top rope again, leaping off, but this time diving right into a Vader power slam. Vader countering whatever Mero was going for off the top there. Vader countering with a power slam. Looking good here. Vader scores the win. Six minutes and 21 seconds. So Mero looked better in losing in the competitive match with Vader this week than he has in beating the likes of T.L. Hopper and the Goon in recent weeks here on Raw. Go figure. So Mero getting more wins than losses, but still seems to be losing the matches that matter most recently. Still, this made for fun TV, and Jim Cornette calling out super stinky sock Jose Lothario on commentary as well at the end of the matchup, and we'll hear from both of those men momentarily. So fun little TV match here this week. Yes, Mero does yet another job to one of the more high-profile talents, and makes sense. Got to get Vader over heading into that title match with Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. And I got to say, even in losing, Merrill looked better here this week, like I said, than he has in several weeks with some of the other guys he's been pushed in the ring with. As the show goes on, it's Gorilla Monsoon and Clarence Mason. It's another clip from their recent meeting. As Monsoon mentions, Clarence's client was found with a controlled substance and firearms in his possession. Of course, we're talking about Crush. So the story will continue. The meeting will continue. Well, this has been a long meeting. It's been going on for weeks, it would seem. Of course, as you all know by now, the end result will be the return of Crush to WWF TV here very soon. As we go back to the ring, Vince McMahon standing in the squared circle with Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario, the managers of the champion and challenger of the main event at SummerSlam. Cornette immediately dropping the stereotypical switchblade joke on Jose because all Hispanics carry one, eh, Jimmy? So Cornette goes on, he gives Jose shit for putting his hands on him at the free-for-all leading into In Your House, and he talks of Lothario once being a great wrestler and training Shawn Michaels. Corny says that while Shawn traveled the world, Jose became a has-been stuck in San Antonio. And then we see a shot of Shawn Michaels watching on from a monitor in the back. Corny goes on with the promo. He says, then the call came earlier this year. Shawn begged Lothario to train him for WrestleMania so that he could win the title. Jose is finally somebody again. 
but Cornette is going to have to take that away from Sean and Jose and send Lothario back to San Antonio and back to the has-been with nobody caring whether he lives or dies. Wow. Strong words from Jim Cornette. As uh, Corny says that Jose is trash, which means Shawn Michaels must be trash for aligning himself with the Super Sock. And that's all he can stand because he can't stand no more. Lothario grabbing Jim Cornette by his suit and threatens to put a whipping on him, but eventually turns Corny loose as Cornette then tries to attack from behind, charging Lothario with the tennis racket, but Jose ready for him, turning around, Super Sock, dropping Cornette with a big right hand. Jim Cornette down on the mat, Jose Lothario standing tall. And then to the backstage area, we see WWF champion Shawn Michaels watching on at that monitor, cheering on, clapping his hands on his mentor. And what Jose just did to Jim Cornette, when out of nowhere, Mankind attacks Shawn Michaels with the Mandible Claw. Mankind laying the champion out with the Mandible Claw here. What's that about? So a little foreshadowing, a little storytelling, building to the next pay-per-view after SummerSlam. We didn't realize it here on Raw. It all makes sense at the end of the day, and, and job well done. Didn't really see that coming, literally. Nobody saw that coming. Out of nowhere, Mankind, who's currently in a feud with The Undertaker, and doing all this weird mommy stuff with gold dust on the side, Mankind attacking Shawn Michaels, because I guess, why not? And we're not even halfway into Raw, and we're on our third match already. Not to mention the promos in between, the Mankind attack, they're squeezing tons into this week's program. As is back to the ring, British Bulldog Davey Boy Smith slated to take on Henry Godwin. Godwin out here with Hillbilly Jim. The British Bulldog has Owen Hart with that filthy cast on his arm in his corner. And during the entrances, Aldo Montoya appears up in the corner. Insert promo interview, live interview. Aldo now apparently a protege of one Jake the Snake Roberts, it would seem, or designated driver, if you ask the king. We learn that Montoya defeated Jerry Lawler over the weekend on Superstars, as we see a quick clip of that. The King then issuing a challenge right here on Raw to Aldo for a rematch next week here on Monday Night Raw. And the Portuguese Man of War accepts, so next week on Raw, it's going to be a rematch. Jerry Lawler looking for revenge on the Man of War Aldo Montoya, and I was looking at this, and I noted here, Aldo's mask looks more ridiculous than usual, like, like a kid's Halloween costume, complete with padding. It's also during the start of this matchup, we learn that Shawn Michaels is back on his feet after that attack from Mankind, as Vince points out that the Mandible Claw is only temporary paralyzation. Well, that's good to know. As Owen Hart joins for commentary while Jim Cornette is missing in action due to that altercation with Jose Lothario before the break, and Diana Smith completely removed from TV as well, it would seem, at this point. So, major news bulletin, guys, going across the bottom of the screen. A scroller! This just in. Sonny will be in the AOL Auditorium, the chat room, I suppose, Tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Be sure to be there July 30th. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Sunny in the AOL Auditorium. She will be celebrating the status of the most downloaded celebrity on AOL. You hear me, guys? Ah, the early years of America Online. Things were so much simpler then. And we're used to seeing Davy Boy out here being the more powerful man in a matchup, but it's Hank Godwin on the other end running him over, plowing Davy Boy down to the mat early on. As Davey tries for a reverse monkey flip, and we get our second reverse power bomb of the night. We saw Vader do it earlier. And Godwin countering Bulldog's reverse monkey flip, grabbing his legs, scooping him up into that reverse power bomb. And it's been done here tonight by the two guys who did it best, Vader and Henry Godwin. So double your pleasure, double your fun. I enjoyed seeing both men hit the move here tonight on Raw. As Henry goes on dropping Smith with that reverse power bomb, going to get him a two count here. 
and the Bulldog wisely rolling out to the floor, and some wrestling as the match goes on by both men in the ring before Hank missing a corner charge and the Bulldog finally taking over control, eventually sending Godwin out to the floor. As the match goes on, Davey Boy continuing to work Hank over in the ring as Vince asks Owen Hart on commentary, when will his brother Brett return? Owen says that Brett's a loser and a coward and apparently a quitter. Owen is sick of being asked about his brother Brett. As Lawler says, good riddance to the hitman. So Vince McMahon wanting to know when and if Bret Hart plans to return to the WWF, Owen doesn't want to talk about it, and Lawler seems to think the hitman is gone for good. As commentary continues on, they also talk about the cast of Owen Hart, Vince suggesting you could undergo a bone marrow transplant in the time that Owen Hart is taking to recover from this injury. As Hart says, it's because of people like Savio Vega, for instance, that keep attacking his injured arm during his matches that is prolonging his recovery time. Then back to the action in the ring, Godwin finally reversing a bulldog suplex, taking Davey Boy down to the mat and both men down as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, Davey back in control, but misses his own corner charge this time, and it's Godwin, hanking up. Yeah, I said it. Looking for the slop drop here, but Owen Hart jumping up from commentary, goes over to the slop bucket and dumps it on the floor, knocking it off the apron, which somehow distracts Henry Godwin, because slop was spilled or something. Anywho, Henry Godwin dropping the bulldog, turning his attentions to Owen Hart in the slop bucket, and then the bulldog from behind with a clothesline before landing his patented running power slam, going to steal the win here in 7 minutes and 45 seconds shown of maybe a 9-minute match. And going in, looking at this on paper, the British Bulldog versus Henry Godwin, it sounded painful, guys. I was just thinking about the, the mixture of the pace that Henry Godwin keeps with guys this size, coupled with the fact that the Bulldog's seemingly not even trying when he's not in there with guys that work the quicker style like a Shawn Michaels, a Bret Hart, guys like that. But this was pretty decent, to be honest with you, and certainly for TV. Could have done without the chin locks in the middle, but overall, far better than I was thinking heading in. And they are really doing a good job of late in cramming multiple stories into a segment that may not all be related. Early on, we saw Sean Invader, Corny Lothario. Then it was Sean and Mankind for September. Here, they use this match for Aldo, Lawler, Jake Roberts, the storyline there. Also, Sunny, we learned she's going to be on AOL. We talk about Owen Hart's cast gimmick. And, of course, the match in the ring, Henry Godwin and Davey Boy Smith. Good stuff tonight so far on Raw and keeping you on your toes anyway. As up next, we get a clip of the Olympian and powerlifter by the name of Mark Henry setting the American record at the time of 903-pound deadlift. Oh, my. All in preparation for tomorrow's shot at the gold in the 96 Olympics. We see clips of Mark Henry appearing on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno as well as Oprah Winfrey before dunking a basketball. No lie, guys. And also taking out Jerry Lawler in the ring all the way back on the March 11th edition of Raw earlier this year. So Mark Henry on his way to the WWF, putting him over hard here as we see him on national TV programming and dunking a basketball. Henry, quite the athlete for his size back in the early days. As up next, we get a promo from Mankind. And this was apparently filmed at the In Your House pay-per-view after the matchup between Goldust and The Undertaker. Of course, Mankind interfering there, brawling to the boiler room with The Undertaker. And after the matchup, here's the promo. It's Goldust laying next to Mankind. In the boiler room, Goldust shown caressing Mankind's head as Mankind in return holding and caressing the blonde wig of Goldie. The gist of this is that Mankind says he can't control himself anymore. Somehow, he's now aligned with Goldust, referring to him as Mommy. 
And what mommy wants, mommy gets. Mankind is coming for The Undertaker, and none of this made any sense to me in 1996, and it doesn't make any sense to me now in 2023 either. And I don't think they ever explained this entire mommy thing, completely anyway, as the relationship between Mankind and Goldust, as best as I can remember, is eventually just dropped. As we close out this edition of Raw, we got one more match for you here this week. TV main event. It's The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin 2. Part 2, we saw these two in the ring once before. Wasn't the most exciting of matches, but here we are. A rematch of sorts between The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin here in the summer of 96. And Austin still with the cool Iceman, the Stone Cold theme. as over and popular as the Austin theme we all know and love came to be, I love this original theme too. Just felt like a serial killer theme if a serial killer came out to theme music, and it fit Austin's dead eyes in his promos at the time. Stone cold indeed. As we then cut backstage, we see a clip of Mankind rocking in the boiler room. So he's still here, guys, after attacking Shawn Michaels. And as the match gets going, I never did figure out the weird logo on the early Stone Cold trunks but I'm glad he dropped it. Didn't really need it there. As Taker grabs Austin by the goozle early on and tosses him back in the corner, Stone Cold, though, luring Undertaker in and taking over, but Undertaker no-selling the shots and does the quick head snap back at Austin, and Steve Austin doing a great job selling the Undertaker, no-selling his moves. Austin with the big bug eyes. Perhaps a little scared here is Stone Cold of the dead man. As the Undertaker retaliates with the leaping clothesline and he goes up for old school, but Austin shaking the ropes and crotching The Undertaker on the top rope. And not everybody got to do that back then. In fact, here on Raw, they're trying to sell it on commentary as if nobody had ever done that before. Austin shaking the ropes. I think he actually blocked it the first time as well. But Austin getting the better of old school and The Undertaker. As Austin stomping Taker down and driving an elbow across his throat over the apron, Taker then begins fighting back, but Stone Cold with a low blow and a mule kick missed by referee Mike Chioda here. So Austin taking back over with a middle rope elbow drop from halfway across the ring, connecting for a near fall here by Stone Cold on the dead man. But Undertaker comes fighting back again, tying Austin in the ropes and planting him with a running big boot to the face of Stone Cold. Taker then gets Austin up against the ropes, but Austin using the leverage to snap Taker throat first across the top rope and take back over control of the matchup. It's Stone Cold in control as we see a dual screenshot again, insert of Mankind leaving the boiler room. Where's he headed? We'll have to find out after the break. Monday Night Raw heading into a commercial. And then back from break, Austin has The Undertaker in a chin lock, which he eventually breaks free from, but Austin fighting right back and landing a pile driver on the dead man. Stone Cold then climbing to the top rope, but The Undertaker sitting up and falls into the ropes as he staggers to his feet, causing Austin to crotch himself. Aw, oh, come on, dead man. Taker then grabbing Austin with a choke slam, 
off the middle rope. And what a bump taken here by Steve Austin to the middle of the ring. Undertaker with a choke slam. Austin sitting on the top rope, choke slammed into the middle of the ring as the Undertaker then picking Stone Cold up for the Tombstone pile driver. But just as it appears that Austin may be doomed, Mankind makes his way down to ringside, distracting the Undertaker, leading to a brawl on the outside and up the aisle and to the back, causing the Undertaker to be counted out, even though the referee was watching him fight with Mankind the entire time. I wrote, where's the disqualification here? A little more than nine minutes shown of this 10 to 11 minute matchup, and a zillion times better than their first outing. I'll say that for various reasons here. And if you didn't watch Austin in Dallas or WCW or early here in the WWF, you forget how good he was at taking bumps and doing more in the ring when he was more mobile before the broken neck and further knee injuries. But maybe not a pay-per-view caliber match here, but easily a TV main event any day of the week. And I, I didn't really expect a real finish, so I wasn't disappointed at the Mankind run-in. Would have loved to have seen these two have a match on pay-per-view during this time frame, though. Maybe an in-your-house between The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then post-match, though, The Undertaker returning to ringside. Apparently, he had laid out Mankind backstage. Taker returns as Austin tries to attack him on his way in the ring, but Taker dodges out of the way and lands the Tombstone Piledriver on Stone Cold Steve Austin. No doubt to send the fans home happy for this hour of Raw. And then Vince McMahon entering the ring after the encounter, going to have a word with The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Notwithstanding the fact that The Undertaker is slated to be in the Battle Royal next week, remember the winner, to meet the WWF champion after SummerSlam here on Raw. But what about that boiler room brawl against Mankind at SummerSlam? The Undertaker then taking the microphone, he says it's time for the Reaper to enter the Serpent's Lair. At SummerSlam? Mankind will rest in peace. And there you have it, guys. Another edition of Raw in the Books and another good edition here this week. As I look at the segment of the night, was it Vader and Mark Marrow? Was it right here, Stone Cold versus Undertaker 2? Jose Lothario popping one Jim Cornette? Or Psycho Sid back on Raw, powerbombing Bradshaw and his manager Zebekiah with ease? Well, lots of fun stuff here this week, uh, but I had to go with the main event. Really good stuff. Like I said, tons better than the first time out. Stone Cold and The Undertaker here this week, but lots of fun little things happening here on Monday Night Raw leading into SummerSlam. Good job. And I wrote here in my notes, wow, two weeks in a row. And more so this week, some really solid, good TV produced here by the World Wrestling Federation, this TV taping of Monday Night Raw. So much better than they've been doing in recent weeks, recent months, really. Good job here by Vince McMahon and company. And now we move over to the other side of the world. We're talking WCW news, guys, as the WCW tag team titles changed hands twice over the weekend. First on the July 24th house show in Cincinnati, in what was originally announced as a non-title match, Rick and Scott Steiner defeated Harlem Heat for the belts when during a pre-match argument, the Heat agreed to put the titles up and the Steiners won the belts. And as the weekend went on, the Steiners continued to beat Harlem Heat until the final show of the tour on July the 27th, just three days later, in Dayton, where Heat regained the belts when Stevie Ray hit Rick over the head with the tag team title belt. So there was a title switch on the house shows from the Heat to the Steiners, then back to the Heat just a few days later. We'll have to see if they mention that here on the upcoming edition of Monday Nitro. And I guess they want to put into play that anything can happen on the house shows. The WWF did that back around 91-92, changing belts repeatedly on the house shows to try to enhance ticket sales, and maybe that's what WCW is going for here as well. Just a few more quick bits of news here. 
Before we head into this edition of Monday Nitro, Demelt says that Lee Marshall, they're great, has been doing play-by-play on both WCW Pro as well as Worldwide as of late. And here comes the snide remark of the week. Dave Meltzer says, the only conclusion I can come to about the assignment, since Marshall is by far the worst of the WCW announcing bunch, is that Tony Schiavone, who is in charge of those assignments, wants to make sure the only guy who gets any visibility is a guy that nobody will ever think is a better announcer than Tony is. I wrote, ugh, Dave. Really? No wonder Shivani says the things he does about Dave Meltzer. Just a few more bits of news here. Not only is the WCW Hog Wild pay-per-view scheduled for August the 10th, but five days later, WCW promoting their next Clash of the Champions on TBS as well. So two big shows in just five days' time coming up in the early part of August. Should be a fun time in WCW. It's also noted that the one 2 3 kid, Sean Waltman, set to make his WCW debut in the next few weeks here in World Championship Wrestling. Also, the former Quebecers, Jacques Rougeau and Pierre-Carl Ouellette, also signed their WCW contracts as of August the 1st, so expect to see the Quebecers sooner rather than later here on WCW TV. And last but not least, a fellow by the name of Horace Boulder, you guys may know him as the nephew of Hulk Hogan, also recently signed a contract with WCW. Now, when he debuts, that's another story. But just as Lanny Poffo related to the Macho Man Randy Savage getting a contract here, well, it must be nice being related to the Hulkster. Brother. As we roll on to WCW Monday Nitro, July the 29th, still in Orlando, Florida, at that Disney MGM Studio outdoor venue. Over 450 fans in attendance here. As we kick off hour number one, it's Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. It's crazy to think, and this comes straight from Eric Bischoff, by the way, we may not have even had a Monday Nitro during the 96 Olympics time period had they not had their relationship already in place with Disney. No freelancers available, couldn't get a Turner production truck to save their lives, all busy with Turner Sports in the Olympics. How lucky they were out here, week after week, no rain, but all indoor production studios here at Disney were taken so outdoors it was, and they didn't have to hire a production truck, no satellite link fees here, so Disney, they already had all of that, so it worked out in many ways for Bischoff and WCW, but just think, guys, no Disney relationship, and perhaps no Nitro here in the summer of 96, which means the entire momentum of the Outsiders and the NWO may have never even happened. Anywho, we go back, hour one, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, opening the show this week, it's going to be WCW champion The Giant taking on Arn Anderson, The Steiner stepping in the ring with the American Males, and Cruiserweight champion Rey Mysterio Jr. defending his title against Eddie Guerrero. Wow, what a match. Somehow, I have a feeling that's all going to change, though. Funny they only reference these three matches, which we'll get into later in the broadcast, as Zabisco talks the New World Odor, going to hear a lot of that moving forward, picking their shots, going into production trucks, or waiting until half of the roster is over in Japan. Zabisco states that there's five SWAT guys at the front of production this week, so good luck with that, NWO. If they don't study the past, they will be doomed to repeat it. Boy, Eric Bischoff should have taken heed of that one. It's off to a VTR. Apparently, the outsider's sending in a VTR here as we cut to a video filmed by a cameraman apparently hired by the NWO. Well, they do have the money for it. This apparently happened, quote-unquote, Saturday night on the screen, but I do believe it was actually taped on Wednesday after the matches in Cincinnati. And the story goes, Lex Luger 
left the stinger alone out here to load the luggage into the trunk of the car as the package was summoned back into the arena for an emergency phone call, which apparently was placed by Scott Hall. Nevertheless, with Lex Luger back in the arena and Stinger all alone, the Outsiders pounce Sting on the outside of the building and do a number on him, slamming the trunk door down to the back of the Stinger before turning to the camera to gloat about their actions. And since this didn't happen during normal wrestling hours, I'd imagine that Hall and Nash, they should have been charged on something here, perhaps put in jail? Now, today, we look at this and go, okay, your typical weekly backstage attack, but stuff like this didn't really happen back then. Now, this wasn't the first time this ever happened, but it set the stage for what we see today that's become so common almost on the weekly. So here in 96, that This Is Real feel was attached to the attack by Hall and Nash on Sting. And of course, with Luger conveniently leaving, he did get that phone call. Scott Hall gloated about tricking Luger back into the building to attack the Stinger, but it did leave some questions. Was this all a plan? Was Lex Luger really going to join the NWO? And how is Sting? We learned that Sting had minor injuries and he will recover. It was more about the NWO sending a message than really trying to take out Sting at this point. As we head off to the ring for our opening bout here on Nitro, Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Mean Mike Enos. And if you didn't catch it yourself, the cameras and Tony Schiavone make sure to point it out that there are four empty seats in the front row of the crowd. Is it for the NWO? And if so, who is the fourth member? Oh, the suspense. As Mike Enos is out, minus Rob Parker, as apparently there's dissension in the camp of Colonel Rob Parker and Rough and Ready after Sensational Sherry, or Sensuous Sherry, or Sister Sherry, I guess at this point, recently kissed Dick Slater on WCW TV, apparently causing jealousy from Colonel Rob Parker, or some shit. As uh, Hacksaw Duggan out to his carnival music, that Americana theme, as Larry Zabisco on commentary shouts out, oh no, not Hacksaw. And I'm sure those were my exact sentiments back in 1996 as well. And say what you will, Duggan was always over with the fans, but not the uh, most quality wrestling matches were coming out of Jim Duggan by this point in his career. As Enos attacks before he removes his vest and chaps, but Duggan with the clothesline, sending Mean Mike out to the floor, and then back in the ring, the two going toe-to-toe, butting heads, trading shots. Duggan then charging Mike Enos, who drops down, pulls the top rope down, sending Hacksaw over the top rope to the outside in a pretty slow spot. Jim Duggan taking a slow bump over the top rope out to the floor as Enos follows him outside, slamming Duggan down on the concrete before working him over back inside the ring. But Duggan coming back with some hope spots, trying to make that big comeback, but Enos cuts him off every time, continuing on the offense. But eventually Hacksaw unloading with some pretty sloppy punches here before the two men collide. Both men going down, and again, a rough-looking spot here. Duggan just doesn't move at a believable speed at this point in his career, and I'm not really sure why, but Enos continues in control with a hangman's neckbreaker. Beautifully done, rude awakening style. Gonna get Mean Mike a two-count here on Duggan. Mean Mike then up top, but misses a diving splash off the top rope, and Duggan hacks up. Hacks up. Ugh. Anywho, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan unloading in the corner until the referee pulling him away allowing Mike Enos to sucker shot Duggan and now working him over in the corner. But this time, the referee pulling Enos back to separate the two men, allowing Jim Duggan to dig into his tights and pull out that big roll of tape, tape that fist up, and blammo! Hacksaw Jim Duggan stealing the win here. Knockout punch, 7 minutes and 30 seconds. And how many times can we see this finish, guys? And the tape, if illegal, is beyond blatant to the official here, so... 
the roll of tape hanging two feet off of the hand of Hacksaw as the referee raises his hand in celebration after the matchup. And as I pointed out during the action, Hacksaw Duggan, moving at a speed slower at this stage of his career, which makes almost everything he does look fake or definitely bad at the very least. And I'm a Hacksaw fan from way back, guys, but outside of that match with Vader at Starcade 94, I don't believe there was a single Hacksaw match that I cared for in WCW. But Duggan going to redeem himself here. He's standing by, entering interview with Mean Gene Oakland, going to be conducted with Hacksaw Jim Duggan here. And listen up carefully, guys. I got a soundbite here of this one. Hacksaw Duggan making a whole lot of sense. You know, everybody's just wondering, Hawk, what have you done? What have you done to us? Not just your friends, not just your family, not just your countrymen, but his fans, Gene. The young kids that really looked up to you, that really believed in your Hulkster. I've been with you for almost 20 years. I've gone to the Make-A-Wish Foundation with you. I've been to the Special Olympics. I know what's in your heart. So what's wrong with you, Hulk? Why turn your back on everything that you used to love? Why turn your back on everything that loved you? I don't understand. I had you over to my home. Jeannie's held my two little girls in his arms. The first word my oldest spoke was Hulkster. I've got to look her in the eye and tell her what kind of man you are. Hulkster, you're a great technical wrestler, but I don't want to wrestle you. I want to beat you up. All right, I thank you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And Duggan sounding concerned there. Everybody wondering, Hulk, what have you done to the fans? What have you done to the kids? Duggan getting personal here. The time he spent over the years with Hulk Hogan at Make-A-Wish and the Special Olympics. Hulk's been in Duggan's home. Held Duggan's kids. A couple of really good lines here by Hacksaw. And then he kills the entire thing by calling Hulk Hogan a great technical wrestler. But seriously though, one of the better promos from Duggan here in WCW, and it doesn't really do anything for Hacksaw or a Hacksaw-Hogan match, but it just shines even more the light on the awfulness of the Hulk Hogan heel turn, brother. So job well done there by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Going to redeem himself this week after that matchup. A match with Mike Enos that Dave Meltzer called perhaps the worst match of the year. And I won't go nearly that far, but it wasn't very good either. As we learned this week on the WCW Saturday Night Program, 605 guys, Chavo Guerrero Jr. going to take on Ric Flair, the Giant, going one-on-one with nasty boy Brian Knobs, and the macho man Randy Savage stepping in the ring with the crippler Chris Benoit. And speaking of the macho man and the crippler, it's back to the ring six-man tag team action. The match we were promised last week, we're getting it here this week. Lex Luger, the Stinger, and the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on the horsemen of Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, and the Nature Boy Ric Flair. And yes, guys, Ric Flair is indeed here this week, though there's no explanation as to his whereabouts last week as the horsemen make their way down with Deborah, woman, and the lovely Elizabeth leading the way. And you know, with the Macho Man back from Japan, probably a good time to tell this epic story of a fight between the Macho Man Randy Savage and Road Warrior Hawk, of all people, a feud that started when Hawk's wife told Hawk that the Macho Man had hit on her, was eyeing her on that tour of New Japan. Hawk then went up to the Macho Man questioning him. Was he really trying to hit on the Road Warrior's wife? And this happened just seconds before the Macho Man was set to go out for his matchup here for the New Japan promotion. So Savage in full garb had his jacket on, his cowboy hat, the sunglasses, the whole nine yards, Savage getting ready to go out when he's confronted by Hawk. 
and Savage denying the allegations made by Hawk's wife, apparently leading to Hawk asking Savage, are you calling my wife a liar? And then this, according to Road Warrior Animal anyway, Savage's response, some less than flattering words to describe Hawk's wife, leading to Hawk with an open-handed shot across the face of the macho man, knocking him on his ass, sending his glasses and hat flying across the room. Savage, though, jumping up, looking to lunge at Hawk, but everybody being held back. Savage being held back by Fujinami. Mr. Saito apparently telling Hawk to cool down, boy-san. And Hawk obliges, respecting the New Japan promoters, the New Japan professional wrestlers. Macho Man being held back by Fujinami. Cooler heads prevailing for the time being as Savage sent out to the ring for his matchup. Some people report his music was already playing when this was going on. I don't know that to be fact or not. And reportedly... Post-match, Savage went back looking for Hawk, but security kept the two men separated for the remainder of the night. And then years later, apparently, in Tampa, Florida, at a Kid Rock concert, of all places, the two men meet again. Hawk attempting to be cool, reportedly even trying to shake the hand of Randy Savage, letting bygones be bygones. But Savage reportedly swatted his hand away, swatted the open hand of Hawk away, and then cracked him with a big punch knocking Hawk Loopy and then tying things up one-to-one, apparently, in the mind of the Macho Man. Now, depending on what you hear, it could have been one punch and broken up or an entire bathroom fight with urinals being ripped off the wall. To quote the gorilla, highly unlikely. But yes, apparently at a Kid Rock concert, Savage getting in a sucker punch on Road Warrior Hawk, a little revenge there. But the fight at the Kid Rock concert also seemed to bring the ladies into a fight here. And when Hawk's wife had a knockdown drag out with Gorgeous George, remember her? The former girlfriend of the Macho Man. And apparently George's sister as well. So George recalled throwing unopened cans of soda at Hawk's wife during this fight. And all of this, believe it or not, wound up going to court with Road Warrior Hawk suing the Macho Man on behalf of his wife, stating that she sustained permanent hearing damage from the fight. But unfortunately, this case was thrown out, however, when Hawk passed away back in 2003. So for those of you who didn't know, apparently there were clearly some issues there between the Macho Man and Hawk from the Legion of Doom. Hope you guys enjoyed that story as we head back to the ring. We do have six-man tag team action standing by here as the babyface is out second and they hit the ring quick. Macho Man attacking Ric Flair on the floor and the bell sounds for action. All six men brawling around ringside Hot and heavy gets the crowd right into things as we take a commercial break and hopefully we can restore some order. But hey, guys, it's Glacier. Another Glacier vignette airs into the commercial break. Our world is about to change soon. I promise. Or no, wait. Yeah, soon. I promise. Maybe. And then back from break, the bell rings again, as apparently this is the real start of the matchup as Sting and Benoit going to start it off for their teams. But Ric Flair in fast and takes the Flair flip up and over in the corner onto the apron, but knocked off by the Macho Man and out to the floor again. Savage attacking Flair on the outside, driving him into the Fruit Bowl on the Horseman VIP table. As the Nature Boy running back into the ring, running into a gorilla press from the Stinger inside the ring, where it's much safer taking a press from the stinger more safe than being on the outside of the ring with the macho man. But the nature boy regroups, rolls out of the ring and kisses the lovely Miss Elizabeth right in front of the macho man, which only incites Savage even more. Macho man tagging in, but Ric Flair running away, running up the aisle, trying to escape, but Savage catching him in the aisle way, bringing him back, throwing him back into the ring as Mongo tagging in. And we begin to get Luger chants from the crowd, 
Lex wanting to tag in Powerhouse versus Powerhouse here. Lex Luger going to take on Steve Mongo McMichael. And as Luger no-sells a Mongo back elbow, he shoots McMichael into the ropes, but Mongo stumbles running into the ropes, tripping and falling through the ropes to the outside. I wrote LOL. Sorry, guys, it was funny. But McMichael does wind up landing at his feet, heading right back into the ring. And all of the horsemen running in, Luger taking all three men out, a press slam on Ric Flair, a clothesline on Chris Benoit. But the horsemen, they finally take over, getting heat on the total package. But it doesn't last long as Flair, back on the losing side, taking a superplex off the top rope by Sting. Flair managing to get back over to his corner, tagging back to Steve McMichael. Mongo in with stiff, smacking clotheslines against the chest of Sting. You can hear him, guys. Smacking Sting in the chest with clotheslines in the corner. Stinger has nowhere to go, nowhere to bump. He has to absorb that entire blow coming from Steve McMichael. And now the horseman going to work over the Stinger here. It's Flair in with the figure four leg lock. And a little added help from woman on the outside. A little added leverage from woman here as the Stinger in the figure four put on by the Nature Boy. But eventually it's Sting reversing the hold, causing Flair to release. Flair then looking for another figure four leg lock, but Sting going to counter that one into an inside cradle for two as Chris Benoit then tags in, locking in a lion tamer of sorts here, but Lex Luger in to break it up, saving his partner, the Stinger. And then it's Ric Flair back in, chopping away at Sting, but as Sting begins his no-sell comeback on the Nature Boy, Jimmy Hart comes rushing out, screaming into the camera, we need help, baby! Take the cameras back there. Jimmy Hart asking for the cameras to go to the back. So Jimmy Hart needs help, but his first go-to was the camera guy. And the cameraman does indeed run off to the back as Jimmy shouts, the outsiders are back there. So apparently Hall and Nash have invaded the Disney studios. As Jimmy Hart continuing to do his best sell job here as, as best he can anyway, screaming at all of the men in the ring up on the apron as Jimmy Hart pleading with both teams for help in the back. Something terrible is going on backstage and Jimmy is out here looking for help as Sting has made the hot tag back to Lex Luger, who is about to put Ric Flair into the torture rack when Luger gets wind of what his old buddy Jimmy Hart is telling him on the apron. The outsiders are in the backstage area. The babyface team bails immediately from the matchup, running backstage, as it looks like the Macho Man even trying to snatch a steel chair away from Larry Zabisco here on his way to the back. As we cut to the backstage area, major angle alert, guys, outside the trailer, Arn Anderson, first shown there, laid out before the camera moves over to Hall and Nash with baseball bats in their hands, who have apparently just also taken out Marcus Bagwell as well. Bagwell down, clutching at his knee, the outsider standing over top of him. As Scotty Riggs, the partner of Bagwell, the American males, Riggs comes out of the trailer door shouting, Marcus! As Scott Hall grabbing a video camera or some kind of lighting rig or, or something, crashing it into the side of the head of Scotty Riggs, laying him out cold, and then, oh boy, here we go. This spot has lived with me for the last 27 years, guys. The camera pans over to the trailer door once more, and it's Ray Mysterio Jr., who does a springboard plancha off the stair railing, but is caught in midair by Kevin Nash, and then Nash lawn-darting Ray Mysterio headfirst into the side of the trailer. Straight, nasty head spike, like a dart into the wall. And oh, what a sound it made. There's Rey Mysterio. Hey, he dove off. That's Rey Mysterio. There's the Cruiserweight Champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh, no. Hey. Head first.
first into the trailer in the back. He threw him like he was a dart. Rey Mysterio laid out cold as Hall and Nash laugh as they head over to their limousine. And just then we hear a bell ring, signifying the end of the matchup as Tony Schiavone exclaims that all six men have now left ringside, even the horsemen, on their way to the back to meet the outsiders. So the match is ruled a double countout. Probably 13 minutes shown of a 14-minute match here. Though that last minute had no wrestling, so we really missed nothing, guys. As Hall and Nash get into the limo, we see them speed up to get in the doors, and rightfully so, because it's the macho man Randy Savage rushing towards the limousine, which doesn't have time to pull off, so Savage, rather than just wait and watch it, jumps on top of the limo and reaches inside the sunroof, beginning to throw punches down inside Savage on top of the limo as it begins to pull away. The Macho Man clinging onto the sunroof for dear life. And dear God, what a scene, guys. And are you ready for this? The entire Macho Man jumping on top of the limo, clinging hold of the sunroof as it pulls away, was completely improvised by the Macho Man Randy Savage himself because the limo didn't have time to take off first. It was supposed to take off before Savage got to it, but Hall and Nash hadn't even got to the doors before they saw the Macho Man. They climb inside as fast as they can, but the limo simply didn't take off fast enough. Classic Macho Man ad-lib here as he calls an audible and hangs from the top of the car as it speeds away. Could have easily gotten killed, uh, says Eric Bischoff in past interviews. And all of this was so different for the time. Very new, fresh to the genre of wrestling, if you will. And so fresh and so new at the time that many of my original memories and emotions from this segment are still embedded in my mind that enables me to retell them from a teenager's point of view, watching this 27 years ago. I'm still able to share it with you guys here in 2023. And 1996 me, from a storyline standpoint, I simply said as the limo pulled off, great, the Macho Man is dead. Either he's going to fly off the limo, or he's going to be pulled inside and obliterated by the outsiders. Either way, Savage has no chance of returning here, maybe for the long term, I thought, as I was watching this unfold live back in 1996 and the spot it really felt something like macho would absolutely do you totally see him doing this especially during this unhinged version of randy savage here in 96 but as i watched it live way back then i was simply saying why would someone sacrifice themselves like that and this next bit it's going to be fun I'll, I'll look at what we're seeing on tv and mixing in various thoughts i felt through the entire ordeal way back when it happened this segment really triggered a lot of memories for me. I really wasn't expecting. I don't necessarily have a lot of memories from segments and matches from this era. And I think it all goes back to it being just so different, like a culture shock of sorts. It kind of got embedded into my brain when this took place. And we'll start from the beginning as I break it down from a 1996ers perspective. And I've heard Bischoff say this too, but it's absolutely the truth. I was thinking this, I swear, back in 1996. And I remember sitting there thinking this. And I don't know if I watched this again with my cousin Crystal afterwards or if she was there when we were watching it live, but I remember us both discussing this. The Jimmy Hart thing, of all people, Jimmy Hart was very hard to take seriously by this point in his career. His cartooniness that he's embodied for the past decade at this point just felt like the wrong guy of all people to send out to get this over as serious. But I get the thought process of giving it to someone who's been around the block to do it. A veteran who knows what's expected of him, and he's going to go out there and do his best in the cell job. Jimmy Hart, and a small part of you is wondering, what's he doing out there when you find out 
you question, is he being for real? Because Jimmy Hart, not only is he a heel, so naturally feuding with Savage and company, but he's also feuding with the Horsemen. So he's a foe to all six men in the ring, and naturally that adds some realism to the story they're telling here, because Jimmy breaking character, so to speak, to relay this message, a call for help to guys that he doesn't necessarily get along with in the wrestling world. So we, we begin to wonder his heart is out there. Is he really telling the truth or is this some sort of dungeon of doom bullshit? But it doesn't take long to figure it out as we cut to the back and oh my God, is that a heel? Aren't Anderson laid out? We never see a heel laid out from an off-screen attack and holy shit. Then we cut to the left and there they are, the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, and indeed, they are here with baseball bats in hand nonetheless and Buff Bagwell, well, the future Buff, Marcus Bagwell laid out. A babyface Bagwell laid out next to a heel Arn Anderson. So the NWO, they have no friends, and nobody is safe here in WCW. To attack a face and a heel side by side? This transcends normal wrestling storyline rules. Then up next, we see Scotty Riggs rushing out, and I'll admit that old Marcus line from Scotty Riggs. It had me and my cousin Crystal busting out laughing looking at each other and laughing. It was a great try by Riggs, but I felt like he overdid it here. He oversold it, and we just thought it was funny when we saw him run out and yell, Marcus! But Riggs gets laid out and laid out hard by, I don't really know what that was, a camera, a lighting rig, I'm not really sure, but Scott Hall, you can hear the crack upside the head of Scotty Riggs, and he has to play dead for the better part of the next 30 minutes here. We'll talk about that as we go on. But after Riggs is laid out, then the camera cuts back over, and all of a sudden, it's Rey Mysterio standing on top of the steps there in the trailer, and he launches himself, a springboard plancha, off of the railing. I wrote, fuck yeah. But Kevin Nash catches him. I wrote, damn. But what comes next, I would have never guessed. And how well it was executed and sounded. There's the Cruiserweight Champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh, no! Hey! Head first into the trailer in the back. Just enhanced it times a million. The dart-like toss head first into the trailer was just sick. And wow, the outsiders take off a savage on the limo roof. Just fucking wild. Beginning to end this, this one minute segment. Where did it go? One to two minutes? Like what the hell did we just witness here? And this was easily the NWO's biggest shot to date. Invading and taking out multiple WCW stars. Heels and faces, some of them already laid out when we go to the back, allowing you to use your imagination, wonder and worry what happened to Arn Anderson and Marcus Bagwell. It actually probably meant more than seeing them take a couple of shots from a baseball bat. And then they add to it the live action attacks of Scotty Riggs and absolutely Rey Mysterio. And my God, that made the entire night that Mysterio bump. Oh no! Head first! And then the faces. And the horsemen, even, from the matchup, all heading out. Alex right back there, Eddie Guerrero, Jimmy Hart, and others back to check on all of the downed men. Total fucking chaos as the camera pans around, as it looks like a tornado just swept through the backstage area. I wrote, holy shit, we need to go to commercial. Stay fucking tuned. And then when we come back from break, it's the aftermath. Back from break, we see Eddie Guerrero tending to Rey Mysterio, the horsemen naturally with Arn Anderson. It's Stinger and Lex Luger looking after Buff Bagwell, and then Scotty Riggs getting the leftovers of Alex Wright. Poor Scotty. People probably afraid they'd catch the clap from the American male here. Anywho, such a serious moment as Tony Schiavone on commentary, disgusted 
You could hear it in his words as woman screaming for help, pouring tears over the body of Arn Anderson clutching at his rib cage. Stinger trying to get answers as everyone doing an excellent job of selling this as legit and trying to help out with the downed wrestlers. Such a real feeling to this angle. As Eric Bischoff has said, these guys were given very little instruction other than the angle and what would be happening. It was up to them to do their part and react accordingly. And the improv allowed them to sell it on their own versus a script telling them how to act here, which made it feel all the more real. And we see the bats still laying there. The rigging used to strike the head of Scotty Riggs. Bagwell holding to his knee. Arn Anderson selling his stomach, maybe selling his arm as well, I can't tell. Rey Mysterio crying out in pain and Scotty Riggs is out cold. As finally a fire truck and an ambulance arrive. Medical personnel now here and Ming also out here in sandals. So now you know shit got real. Don't fuck with Haku, guys. As the reality continues, Rey Mysterio having his mask removed by the medical personnel. They're going to check on Mysterio's neck here. He has to cover his face with his hands as he's being tended to. But he keeps shouting, there were four of them. There were four. I guess referring to the outsiders, the NWO, to the point where it was like, okay, we heard you the first time, Ray. And I had to question Mysterio here. Maybe you were seeing double because we clearly saw just two members of the NWO, Hall and Nash, and they left in the limo. So are we to presume the other two were already back in the limo? And why? And wouldn't Randy Savage have seen all four? And if Ray saw them, couldn't he identify who the other two men were? Some weird stuff going on here in this There Were Four storyline. And I get that it adds the curiosity of who is the fourth man, but it's hard to buy into when we only saw the two. We didn't even see three. Clearly Hulk Hogan not here this week. Ray Mysterio claiming there were four. Who am I to doubt El Dandy? Who am I to doubt Ray Mysterio Jr. here? As we see Chris Benoit out sobbing over Arn Anderson, as Shivani tells us we're sticking with this. As the crowd in the arena, a little confused. They can't see anything that's going on, by the way, guys. Ray Mysterio put in an ambulance. Alex Wright going to take the ride along with him, telling Eddie to stay for his match, which was against Ray Mysterio. But okay. Scotty Riggs still out cold, and we cut to Tony and Larry at ringside as the crowd is completely out of it as we take yet another commercial break. Then back from break this time, we begin hour number two with Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, but almost immediately, Bobby Heenan cutting off Eric on commentary. Tony, I'll I tell you what. You saw what you saw. We saw it from back here, and it's, it's you know, scary. Stop right now. Let me get something straight here right now, Eric. I'm not going to do a, a wrestling interview. I'm talking to you man-to-man, face-to-face. I have a history of neck injuries. You know that. If you get a shot of this, I have nerve damage in my hand. Eric, the job isn't worth it to me to be out here. They almost broke your back a couple weeks ago. You saw what just happened out back. There's bodies all over the place. I'm not going to do the broadcast tonight unless somebody can guarantee me security. Somebody can guarantee me that my, I physically won't be hurt. Can you do that? Bobby, I can't guarantee you anything right now. You do what you feel you have to do. Well, I have to walk away from this. My health and my well-being, I'm not going to be crippled and paralyzed for the rest of my life. Look, I'm not going to argue controlled. with you here. I'm not going to argue with you, Bobby. You do what you have to do. So Bobby Heenan making it clear he's not doing a wrestling interview here. This is a man-to-man talk. He has a history of neck injuries, and they've already almost broke Eric's back in the past, referring to the outsider. So Heenan asks Eric, can he guarantee his safety? The Bischoff can't guarantee anything. So the brain announces he will not continue the broadcast duties tonight. 
due to fear for his safety. And what an acting job by Bobby Heenan. So real. As real as any movie you've ever seen. Great acting. And it was a different voice, Bobby Heenan. A different delivery. Who really did sound like he was talking more normal rather than his typical Bobby Heenan spiel. So Bobby knew the spot and he played it to perfection. He dropped the typical Heenan spiel and went real for this one. And job well done by Bobby Heenan. And Eric Bischoff telling Bobby he understands, he guesses, if Bobby Heenan wants to leave, he can't stop him. And Bobby Heenan does, in fact, leave his broadcast position here at Nitro this week, leaving Bischoff to request the assistance of Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco to stay on with him for hour number two. Takes two guys to replace one brain? Damn right. Meanwhile, the fans are growing more and more restless since they're not in on the angle. This is long before video walls in WCW, and the crowd is really getting screwed here. I mean, it's dragging on TV at this point for me when you factor in all the commercials, but in person, when you don't even know what's going on, you can see the crowd in the back losing interest second by second. And then to the backstage area once more, Scotty Riggs, Arn Anderson, loaded onto stretchers. But this angle's beginning to take a little too long. Seems to be going on forever as a monster, boring chant begins to break out from the fans. Eric Bischoff says he wishes that the fans had monitors to see what was going on back there, but he understands their sentiments. And as different and wild as this angle was, and seeing heels and faces, quote-unquote, break character, stand side-by-side, tending to their friends, this was going on a little long for me in real time. Even back in 1996, by this point in the show, I wrote, where's the wrestling? What's going on with Macho Man? Give me something else to go on here. As we see Ric Flair and the Stinger riding in the same ambulance, along with Bagwell and Arn Anderson. Continuing to try to add to the realism there, as the entire segment runs a good 25 to 27 minutes, along with commercials. A quarter of the show, guys. As on his podcast, Eric Bischoff has taken credit along with Craig Leathers, the producer, David Crockett, even Kevin Sullivan, all helping out with the ideas and the layout. But he says this NWO thing was Eric's baby. He says he was involved in all of the NWO angles, storylines, laying out of the storylines, but didn't necessarily produce them all. So he takes credit for a lot of the ideas here, but he also laid credit on Craig Leathers, of course, David Crockett, and the wrestlers who did a great job selling throughout this entire 30 minutes of the program. And it was such a scene on TV, I'm telling you, go back and watch this. Bodies laying everywhere, people everywhere backstage. It was such a scene that some of the fans at home actually did indeed call 911. And so some of the cops that arrived, they were hired by WCW to act the part here this week. But some of the cops were there legitimately because of the calls to 911. It's even noted during commentary throughout the show Associated Press, the national news, calling in to WCW for comments based on the, quote-unquote, according to Eric Bischoff, the mass murder slash terrorist attack scene that we saw backstage. Definitely not your typical wrestling show attack. So it seemed that real to even the casual fans back when it happened. WCW, Eric Bischoff, onto something completely different here. Doing a good job. Maybe a little too long, yes, but the initial attack and and the site afterwards was uh, just masterful. And because of all of this, the 911 calls, the police coming to the show, WCW, basically what Eric Bischoff calls what looks like the end of a, a terrorist attack, if you will. Many people have stated over the years that this is what caused the end of the Disney relationship with WCW. But Bischoff said that's simply not true. 
WCW just outgrew their relationship with Disney because when they started there a couple years prior, it was because they couldn't get people in the seats for their TV tapings. But at this point, they weren't having trouble filling seats at the house shows or for TV tapings, so they simply outgrew their relationship with Disney. And here's what old Meltz had to say about this angle. He wrote, while the angle itself was a ratings killer for the night, I could see why, it'll pay off in the long run because the curiosity after the angle should build the ratings this coming Saturday and Monday, and it should help the buy rate for Hogwild as well. So we'll have to wait and see what the ratings are this week compared to next week. I can verify after this 30-minute angle, lots of downtime. And you can blame the Olympics and you can blame Raw, but the ratings do drop in the second hour of Nitro. As we are finally back to the ring. Wow, that seemed like it took forever. To see the Steiner brothers going to take on the team of High Voltage. High Voltage coming here to replace the American Males. Remember the initial match announced at the top of the program, Steiner's and the Males. But instead, it's going to be the Steiner brothers taking on High Voltage. And it is, in fact, the Nitro debut of Rage and Chaos High Voltage. And I bet this is what the fans were waiting for the past half hour. Sitting on their hands for 30 minutes, and then they get a squash match here from a team they've never seen against the Steiner brothers. Let's see if Scotty and Rick can make this one fun. Bischoff on commentary stating that he hates to commercialize what we just saw here today, but he can't wait until Hog Wild after all this mess. Right, Eric because we can't wait for people to get in a ring after a PG version of a massacre just took place backstage. So I know after all of my guys are laid out and sent to the hospital that I can't wait to watch a pay-per-view and see these guys get in a wrestling ring to settle their score. But you can't blame Eric for promoting the pay-per-view. And if we're going on reality here, I'd like to see a more realistic response to the attack. Plenty of ambulances, But where were all of the cops? Now, Eric says he hired some, but we didn't see a whole lot back there. And it seemed like there should have been dozens. So I'm thinking maybe Disney probably said, no way, we're not having that many police here at the happiest place on earth. What will the customers think? And Rick Steiner selling the attack angle seems distracted on his way out to the ring. As we go backstage once again, we see Scotty Riggs being loaded onto an ambulance. Finally, as Rick Steiner, he stays on the floor for most of the matchup here watching the aisleway, making sure to watch he and his brothers back here. While Scotty in full control of the matchup, Scott wants Rick to get his head in the game and tags him into the match. Finally, as Kenny Chaos taking advantage of the distracted Rick Steiner here. The power plant rookies take over on Rick, but not very crisp and a little sloppy for sure in the ring here are high voltage. As Rage goes to the top rope, delivers a nice looking shoulder tackle off the top rope, does connect, and then it's Chaos's turn. He too goes up top, leaps off onto Rick Steiner. I think he was supposed to be caught and turned into a power slam, but Chaos overshoots Rick. Good grief does he overshoot Rick Steiner and takes a somersault bump without Steiner's help. Chaos basically power slamming himself. Yeesh. And then it's Scotty back in the ring and he's seen enough of this. Tilt-a-whirl slam and a double underhook power bomb on Rage, who barely clears either of the moves due to timing issues. And then Rick Steiner back in with a Steiner line right underneath the chin of Rage. And holy shit, did that connect. From there, Rick Steiner blasting Chaos off the apron. And Scott in the ring? Oh no, please don't. Rage up for the Steiner screwdriver. And boy, does he take it. Poor Rage. He's done. Right on his fucking head here. Oof. Well, based on their performance, I guess I should have seen this coming. 
Steiner Brothers picking up the win after that Steiner screwdriver, four minutes and 46 seconds, and high voltage, clearly not ready for prime time just yet, to say the least, and not a good showing here on the offense or in taking the bumps, but high voltage, they'll improve. As we then see the final ambulance pulling out with Scotty Riggs as we head into a commercial break, and then back from break, it's our next matchup, Eddie Guerrero taking on Big Bubba, Jimmy Hart in his corner, and this was originally supposed to be Eddie Guerrero challenging Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight title before the Outsiders attack earlier changed it to Bubber here. And I don't think I'd openly announce that on commentary. Talk about a change in a lineup. Let's just hope the big boss man brings his A-game, if he has one in 1996, as Bubba slapping Eddie Guerrero early on and pitching him to the outside, but Eddie landing on his feet and right back inside, retaliates slapping the taste out of Bubba's mouth and then drop kicks Bubba. But it is Bubba who takes control of the matchup. Nasty, stiff slaps across the face of Eddie Guerrero as Bubba presses Eddie into the air and drops him throat first across the top rope. Got to get him a two count. But Guerrero managing to shove Bubba chest first into the corner and plant him with a nice back suplex. But Bubba right back up with one of those famous boss man uppercuts, knocking Guerrero flat out in the middle of the ring. But we get more hope spots from Guerrero throughout the matchup. Bubba always managing to maintain control, however, just tossing Guerrero from corner to corner before delivering a spine buster, netting him another near fall on Guerrero here. Bubba's offense goes on seemingly forever here, at least four different rest holds by the former prison guard. As Eddie chance finally break out within the crowd, Bubba placing Guerrero on the top rope, but Eddie fighting back lands a well-planted tornado DDT on Big Bubba. No trouble for Guerrero. And as Guerrero begins drilling Bubba with punches, Jimmy Hart up on the apron trying to distract the official. Eddie Guerrero lunges at Bubba for a flying Hurricane Rana. But Bubba tossing Eddie up and over his head and Guerrero landing face first into the corner buckle. Nice bump there by Eddie. With the referee distracted, Jimmy Hart tossing the megaphone into Big Bubba, who bends over to grab it. And when he's bent over, Guerrero with a slingshot sunset flip back in from the apron onto Bubba sees the megaphone go flying out of Bubba's hands, and Guerrero going to get the 1, 2, 3, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. Shown in its entirety, not even a commercial break here. And Eddie Guerrero going to get the win, which is great, but they could have done this in five or six minutes and eliminated all of the rest holds in between. And I can't really call this match good, but I've seen worse. And really just your typical WWF undercard match on a house show. Kick, punch, rest holds, go to the finish. As we see something interesting here, Big Bubba arguing with his manager Jimmy Hart post-match. He didn't need the megaphone. He felt he had control of Eddie Guerrero in the matchup, arguing with his manager for throwing the megaphone in the ring. It was Bubba bending down to pick it up, allowing Guerrero to hit that sunset flip for the win. As up next, it's our very first NWO vignette. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. All right, and the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order, and here it is. And I can't say this for all of them, but this one was the first and absolutely one of the best of these NWO-style promos. The black and white, the zooming in and out camera, the random cuts, the music, the floating NWO logo. And Eric Bischoff has stated for the black and white and the grainy film he said he wanted it to look like it was coming from a home video recorder. Well, he succeeded here, but it was actually Craig Leathers and Neil Pruitt 
that put these vignettes, these promos together. Neil Pruitt, actually the man, the voice you hear, the following announcement has been paid for. That's the voice of Neil Pruitt. And of course, his voice will pop up also in, in the NWO entrance music and things like that as well moving forward. But so here they are, the NWO, Hulk Hogan, Hall, Nash. They discuss who could be the next member of the New World Order. Could it be another outsider or maybe someone from within WCW? Hulk Hogan then trashing the giant as he's coming for the WCW title at Hog Wild. And then from there, Scott Hall telling the Stinger to bring his punk partner Lex Luger and bring it to Hog Wild. Apparently, Hall and Nash looking for a matchup against Sting and Lex at the pay-per-view. And this trio here, they just exude arrogance and confidence to a level really never seen before. They're not just better than a wrestler or better than a group of wrestlers, but they're better than an entire company. Not just the wrestlers, but everyone. They feel bigger than the entire WCW right now. And the production and delivery here was groundbreaking for the time. Next level stuff, very innovative. No template prior to this, you guys got to remember. And Hall, Nash, Hogan, they're more talking with each other, having a conversation rather than cutting your typical wrestling promo and just a job well done here by everyone involved on both sides of the camera. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. All right, we saw their attack earlier. Now we get our very first NWO vignette. Pretty cool stuff. As we head back to ringside, we learn that Eric Bischoff has apparently left the announce booth to check on the injured WCW stars, so it'll be Larry Zabisco and Tony Schiavone on commentary for the duration of the program, which includes the main event. It's WCW champion The Giant defending against, well, it was supposed to be Arn Anderson. Remember, they announced that match at the top of the program, but Arn is not here. We saw him leave on an ambulance, so subbing in for Arn Anderson? Greg the Hammer Valentine? Wow, the Giant going to defend his title against the Hammer here. Talk about an opportunity. Can you imagine Greg Valentine, the world champion here, heading into Hog Wild to take on the NWO? Well, we'll have to see how this one goes as the Hammer heads to the ring. He goes straight to the eyes, and he can lay in some nasty chops here on the Giant, but they barely move the champion. From there, the Hammer then running into a Giant clothesline, but Greg moves out of the way of a charging Giant into the corner, and now it's Valentine's time to take the advantage. Going all the way up to the top rope, Greg Valentine off the top with a double axe handle, stuns the WCW champion, and then the hammer back up to the middle rope this time. But the giant, grabbing hold of the throat of Valentine from the middle rope, choke slamming Greg Valentine off the middle rope into the ring, driving him down hard. I wonder if that was uh, Greg Valentine telling the giant, make sure you lay it in, make sure you make it look good. Or maybe at this stage in his career, he wasn't too excited to take this monster choke slam. But usually the giant a little more protective of the move here, and he really drove the hammer down. But he's not done yet. The crowd pops for this monster choke slam as the giant showing aggression. He saw what Hulk Hogan, or at least the NWO in general, did earlier here tonight, and he wants to send a message right back to him. So what does he do? He picks the hammer up for a second choke slam. Driving him down to the mat, the Giant going to pick up the win here, retain his title in just one minute and 40 seconds. And then post-match, Mean Gene climbing into the ring to have a word with the Giant and his manager, Jimmy Hart, as the Giant starts off the promo, mocking the Hulkster by doing a typical Hulk Hogan-type promo. Brother. Giant says that Hulk Hogan conned America. He told them what they wanted to hear. Problem was, 
Hogan didn't believe it himself. Hulk started the NWO because he knew he could never be the big fish in WCW as long as the Giant was here. As while Hogan was off making movies, the Giant has been here week after week defending the WCW title. The Giant then rallying the WCW roster to hang together so they don't hang separately. I like that line. Let's hang together so we don't hang separately. Yeah, I like that. And then Jimmy Hart, who did that hard sell earlier, asking for the help in the back, ends the night on the downswing with a, with a silly line. Jimmy Hart stating that he's told so many lies in his lifetime that sometimes he believes them himself. And one day, Jimmy knows he'll have to pay for all those lies. But right now, it's Hulk Hogan that will pay at Hog Wild, courtesy of the Giant. And that'll wrap up this edition of WCW Monday Nitro. So we got to take a look. Segment of the night. Was it that six-man tag team match we were promised last week? They brought it back again here this week with Ric Flair intact. Match went something like 13 minutes, at least the part we saw. And then, of course, everybody leaving the ring to the double countout. So segment of the night. Was it the six-man tag team match? Was it the Rey Mysterio dart spot? Was it hammer time against the giant? That trailblazing NWO vignette. Well, guys, I think I think it has to be the entire Outsiders attack for various reasons, including that Mysterio dart toss, but also Savage on the limo, the further storytelling of the Outsiders going against everyone in WCW, both face and heel, the WCW wrestlers coming together. Yes, it went on entirely too long, but, but it was easily still the most impactful thing that happened this week, and it's been in my memory ever since. And... The ratings are in. And even while going up against the Olympics, it was WCW Nitro with a 3.2 in the first hour. Now it did fall down to a 2.9 in the second hour. So it's actually dropped here in the second hour for the second straight week in a row. WCW going to have to try to fix that. But nevertheless, the overall average, a 3.0 rating for Nitro with a 4.8 share is something that WCW should be very happy about while going up against the Olympics particularly since the WWF's Raw only does a 2.1 rating and a 3.1 share. Nitro Replay, 1.7 rating and a 3.5 share, which is a huge replay number as well. Actually setting a new replay record for the share, I do believe, maybe even the rating. So this week, once again, it's Nitro continues on that 83-week run with a 3.0 to Raw's 2.1, nearly a point higher in the ratings is Nitro right now. And think about what was on Nitro. I keep saying it week after week. Vince McMahon, you got to up your game. You got to get back into this one. Now, here's what DeMel said about the ratings and the shows here at Raw and Nitro. He says, even with the Olympics, the Nitro opened with a huge audience because the Saturday show was moved back an hour and 35% of its regular audience didn't watch it. And then the Sunday main event was preempted. So that artificially inflated the Monday rating for Nitro. Hold the fucking phone. Let me get this straight, Dave. You're saying that Nitro got a 3.0 because Saturday night, the WCW Saturday night program, was moved back an hour so people missed it. And then there was no main event on Sunday, so people had to tune into Nitro. Well, I got news for you. Nitro, the number one TV program for WCW right now. Plus, who was really watching the main event by 1996? Let's get real here. The main event was preempted, so everybody said, shit, now I got to watch Nitro? Quite the narrative here by Dave Meltzer. But 
Still doesn't change things. Nitro beats Raw out again by nearly a whole point here. And as for me, the real winner this week, Raw with a typical Raw program. Meanwhile, over in WCW, we get four matches, if you want to call them that, and a whole lot of downtime. And now let's talk about the real winner here this week. And this is a little bit tough, guys, because Monday Night Raw flowed nicely this week. Nothing was bad, per se. And they're doing a lot to build to SummerSlam and beyond at this point. We saw Sean and Mankind as well. We also got Austin versus Undertaker 2. Was far better than the first time out. And I can honestly say for the second week in a row now, I enjoyed Raw. And this week, even more so than the last. Meanwhile, over on Nitro, the action far worse than usual. Outside of the six-man, which mostly paint-by-numbers, Flair versus Luger, Flair versus Sting stuff, leading to a non-finish, a double count out there. We didn't even get to see the finish. And the other four matches ranged from 90 seconds long to just not very good to just downright awful. And I think DeMeltz was onto something here. The long, drawn-out backstage drama may have hindered the rating a little overall this week, but for the long term, the suspense, I'm sure, brought these people back next week and then some new ones as well. And up to this point, I don't know that I recall the segment of the Monday Night War so vividly as the Outsiders backstage attack. And not just recall it, but remember so many questions and emotions that I had going on during the segment. So the segment itself, the Outsiders attack, was tremendous. But the aftermath just went on far too long. But if you think about it, that's what made it feel real. This didn't feel like normal TV where everything wraps up within a few minutes' time. They let it play out which gave it more of the real feel. All of the little things as you watch the camera pan around, everyone in a panic, a shock, nobody knows what happened, what's going to happen next. Good guys, bad guys laying out, standing side by side, riding in ambulances together because it was the health and well-being of their friends that was more important than wrestling storylines. So I, I really enjoyed all of that. So, so it was a solid episode of Monday Night Raw beginning to end versus a pretty bad edition of WCW Nitro outside of that one big angle. Nothing from Raw really stays with me, and this segment from WCW is still with me all these years later. So I feel like I have to go with WCW, Nitro, for this one angle specifically, and the ramifications that will follow. But as far as the show, Monday Night Raw overall has to get the nod. So I'm sorry if I confused you guys. If this was anyone other than me, I would probably go just say Raw was the better show overall, beginning to end. However, that one segment, still in my mind all these years later, Monday Nitro, I want to give it the nod. But I, I got to roll with the casual, or I should say the average fan here. If you're just looking for a good time, a good TV program to watch, probably this week you got to go with Monday Night Raw. Was anything as groundbreaking as that one segment on Nitro? No. But this is one of those weeks where I could see it going either way, and Nitro was killing Raw. For quite a while there, guys, as far as the real winner or even in the ratings. But Vince, coming out of this in your house anyway, so far, these first two Monday Night Raw episodes following the pay-per-view, he's done a really good job. I don't know how long that's going to continue, but I'll take it while we can get it. And that'll wrap things up here this week on the program, guys. We'll be back as we kick off August of 1996 here with the Monday Night War. Next time around, when we head into WCW Monday Nitro, no doubt we're going to see the fallout from this Outsider's Attack, as it'll be the go-home episode of Nitro leading into the Hog Wild pay-per-view. Plus, another week closer over there on Monday Night Raw, heading into SummerSlam here in 1996. So much to discuss. 
Don't forget that big battle royal coming up on Raw as well. Sounds like it could be another fun week there for the World Wrestling Federation and curious to see what they do over on Nitro heading into the pay-per-view and coming out of this wild attack. So as we close out the show, just want to remind everybody to head over to Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. All sorts of good things going up all the time over there on Twitter. Of course, you could also follow me Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade and check out some cool videos over there at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And last but not least, I truly appreciate your patronage over at Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. $5 is the all-access tier. Gets you all sorts of fun gifts, Patreon-exclusive episodes, digital downloads, and so much more. Give it a try. Help support the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Help me keep all these shows up and running for the months and the years to come. I've got software bills coming up here before the end of the summer. I could really use your help. So again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. If you guys are looking to support a new podcast brand who cares more about producing quality content and preserving wrestling history than they do making a fast buck. And that'll do it this week. Once again, I am your host, Ray Russell, and thanks for listening to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. There's the Cruiserweight Champion, Rey Mysterio. Oh, no! Head first! The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order.